Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to John, 1 John, not John, 1 John chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 8. Again, just a couple of verses today, but these verses at the beginning of this sermon that John wrote out for several churches is so packed with good things and good news that I don't want to just rush by it. I didn't want to cram it all into one sermon. I wanted us to to dig down and dive deep and, and see what John was trying to say to those little churches way back then and what it means for us in our world today. Now we're in the middle of a series while you're turning to 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. We're in the middle of a series called Prove It. It's talking about proving our faith. How do we prove our faith? And unfortunately, we have kind of decided to try and play the prove it game on the world's terms. And so that's led us in many ways to try and use the scientific method to prove, you know, that this happened or that there's an ark on Ararat. And that's okay. Archaeology is wonderful. We discover a lot of things about that. But there are tangible ways that John wants us to look at that show, that demonstrate, that prove the work that Jesus does in the heart of a human being in our everyday lives. And that's what we've been looking at over these last few weeks. First week we looked at, at we prove it by joyfully sharing the experience of Jesus. That Remember that, that this faith that we have is not just about something that gets plugged into our brains. It's an experience of someone. It's an experience of Jesus. And that experience is for everyone and expands out to everyone. And we prove that, we show that by joyfully sharing that experience that we have had in Jesus. Week two, last week, we looked at the experiences. We prove it by showing and experiencing the effects of walking in the light. And when we walk in the light, these are the effects of walking in the light. We sense that our Savior is with us. We walk in the light as He is in the light. And when we're in the light, we see others clearly. In other words, because He is with us and others are with us, we never walk our faith journey alone. And in that walking in the light with others, we see our sin overcome completely. John writes in the verse right before our verses today, he purifies us from all sin. Everybody say all sin. Purifies us from all sin. Today, we're going to look at one more way that we prove it in our lives by what Jesus does in us as we live out this experience of our faith in our world. So we're going to read 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Only two verses, but hear the word of the Lord this morning. If we claim to be without sin, 
We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the Word of God for the people of God, both here and online. And our response is, thanks be to God. Now, many of you know that before I was a pastor, I was a therapist. And when I was a therapist and sitting in the counseling room, I came across many, many things. The normal things that you would think of, depression, yes, dealt with, helped, tried to help folks with struggling with depression, uh, anxiety, yes. Uh, some teenage, uh, I had a lot of teenage uh, guys who just needed a place to process. A lot of them didn't have a dad in the home, and, and so it was just a place to process some of that. I worked with, with couples. I was a marriage and family therapist, and so a lot of marital stuff that happens uh, in the room, conflicts, uh, growth, what do we do with our kids, you know, all those kinds of things. I saw, that, and occasionally I would see something that uh, I would begin to see, and honestly, began to realize that it was really beyond my training. This is something that would require a clinical psychologist. And one of those things that I would see on very rare occasions is a disease that some of us are familiar with because of a TV show, and it's called hoarding. Now, one thing I understand about hoarding is that it usually starts with a little bit of anxiety it's not sure exactly where it begins or how it starts, but it begins with a little bit of anxiety that that begins to say, I can't let go of this thing. Whatever it is. Might be be junk mail. Might be uh, a carton of milk. uh, Might be food. Might be pots and pans. Might be things from a, a, a garage sale. Whatever it is, There is a fear that we can't let go of it. And and that fear begins to grow and and things begin to pile up in the home and continue to pile up and continue to pile up and continue to pile up. And then the anxiety begins to shift a little bit from not just I'm anxious about letting go of this thing, whatever it is, but now I'm anxious that I don't want anyone to see inside of my home. Because then they would see all the mess that has happened because I can't let go of this or I feel like I can't let go of this. And you've seen these before, but it begins to be the norm that this is what the house looks like. And these are obviously, I wouldn't do this, these are never my clients. These are images I found on the internet. But just sitting in the midst of all the stuff they can't let go of with an anxiety that says, I don't want anybody to come in and see all the stuff that I think I can't let go of. And it begins to pile up and create chaos and mess within the home. And then, of course, the the little critters begin to get in the mess and there's all kinds of stuff. And when I was in Southern California, I worried, what if we had an earthquake? It would bury the clients. Begin to see all the effects of thinking we can't let go of something. And then we have so many things that we think we can't let go of that we don't want anyone else to see our life, our world, 
in our home. I think this is a good illustration of what John is trying to talk to that church long ago when he writes here in verse 8 about sin. He says, you can read along with me, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, I know for those of you who haven't read the Bible a lot, that sounds very harsh. Remember last week, we were talking about John using a particular style of persuasive writing. Does anybody remember what it's called? Amplification. Good. Chocolate bar for you. Amplification. That there is this style that's trying to grab your attention and it's going to use some harsh sounding words, some hyperbole in order to grab your attention, get your emotions stirred in order to help you make a decision. And so he says, if you claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now let's pause here for just a minute because let's look at that word deceive. None of us like to be deceived. I mean, that's, that's just one of the things. If, if you've ever had somebody who you just feel like pulled the wool over your eyes, maybe it was when you were buying a car, and you just paid good money for this car, and you've driven it for a week, and all of a sudden you start hearing something knocking around in the engine. Ugh! Don't like to be deceived. But the word deceived is the Greek word planomen. Can you say that with me? Ready? One, two, three. Planomen. Let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Planomen. And let's say it a third time so you aren't deceived. Ready? One, two, three. Planomen. And planomen means, uh, deceived, we, we kind of think of something being pulled over the wool over our eyes. But literally what it means is to be led astray or to be caught or to cause to wander. If you were asking for directions and somebody intentionally put you on the wrong path. That is capturing the heart of planomen. That, that you have been caused to wander and you have led astray. And we would never want that to happen to us. We would never want that to happen to someone we love. But John says that this deception, the interesting thing about it, this causing to lead astray, is that we lead ourselves astray. Isn't that the worst? I mean, you all have heard my story of getting lost in the woods of Kentucky. There's just nothing worse than than looking around and saying there's nobody to blame but right here. He says this is the deception that he's talking about, this leading ourselves astray. That seems harsh. But he, he wants to let us know what is the cause of leading ourselves astray, of getting ourselves on the wrong path so that we are led astray. What is that? Any ideas? saying we have no sin in our lives. Now let's let's review just a little bit here. Sin, the Greek word for sin is hamartia. We said that a bunch last week. Let's just say it once today. Ready? One, two, three. Hamartia. It's an archery term that means to miss the mark. And we began to look last week at what is that mark. The mark is that we are called to live as the human being that God created you to be. 
And we looked all the way back into Genesis to show that when God created human beings, God's design for you, for me, for all of humanity was to live in God's presence and to learn wisdom from God. To learn the good things that would lead to life and to learn the things that were negative, that are unhealthy, that would lead to death. And we would learn that from Him in God's good time. And we, knew, we know the story that Adam and Eve looked and, and they saw that it was good and they wanted to determine what was right and wrong for themselves. And so they, they took that fruit that God told them not to take and they've been getting right and wrong. Humanity has been getting right and wrong, incorrect ever since that moment. And John says that is what sin is. It's missing the mark of living in God's presence and learning from God. The ways that we are called to live that will lead us to true life. And we saw that that sin often is shown in your life and in my life and you guys online, sometimes as an attitude. For Adam and Eve, it was, does God really, is he really going to provide for us? Or do I need to grab it for myself? There's the attitude that leads to the action of whatever that action might be to grab for myself. And when I do that against you or against God, it begins to pollute the atmosphere. And now there's something between us that just needs to be cleaned up. And these are these things where we miss the mark. And John is saying to say that we don't have that in our lives, you're just leading your own life astray. You are choosing the wrong path. And you end up deceived. Now I want to talk here just a moment about the history of this. Because a lot of scholars that I read said there was a group of people in these house churches that John had started and was the pastor of and was writing to. There was a group who began to believe that they had no sin in their lives. And they actually left the church because they just were so convinced there's no sin. I don't need to worry about this. This Jesus stuff is, is no longer necessary for me. And they just left. So John is writing, and and if they were to hear this in the little open market church that would have been there, maybe it would call them back to say that if you say you have no sin, you've never missed the mark, there's no attitude or action or anything between you and anyone else or you and God, then you are deceiving yourself. You have gotten off the path. You have misled yourself. And he wants to call attention to that. That sounds strange for us, because for all intents and purposes, we live in a culture today that has been shaped by Judeo-Christian ethics. And so we, even even those who never attend church, even those, we have this understanding that we're human beings and we make mistakes, right? And some of us would understand that a lot of those things that we call mistakes are actually missing the mark. Things that we need God's help with and only God can do something about it. But we still, in some ways, in some subtle ways, sometimes even in the church and church communities, still play out this little game of not having sin. Hamartia. Missing the mark. Attitudes, actions, or polluted atmosphere in the world. We do it in a lot of different ways. We do it by hiding behind our genetics, our generation, and our globe. Are you ready for that? You like it all starts with G. 
I want to go through these really quickly. Because sometimes we hide behind the genetics. I was just born this way. And this is not about severe disabilities or things along those lines. Please, please hear me say that. But this is about, well, I just have this thing and I can't get rid of it because I was just born this way. I was born with this attitude. I was born angry. I was born tough. I was born whatever, you know, just fill in the blank. It's in my genes. I'm a McVeigh. And that just means, you know, whatever it is. And we have this idea that there is nothing that can be done about this. Now, this plays itself out sometimes even in our theology. Are you ready for this? Christians believe that when we are created, because of what happened with Adam and Eve, human beings now have a natural inclination to focus everything on ourselves, to grab everything for ourselves. And it begins from the earliest stages all the way through, that we have this inward bent to want everything to focus on us. The fancy term for that is original sin. Genetics, right? Okay, it's, it's, we want to take it down to that level. And there are some, not the Church of the Nazarene, not cross-community church, but there are some theologies that begin to say, then I can't do anything about that sin. It is here. And so I just say, Jesus, come help me. And, and Jesus decides to cover me so that God can't really see who I am. And so I'm, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, but I, there's nothing I can do. I've got to sin and word and thought and deed and action and, and attitudes and atmosphere every day. And I've just got to trust that in the end, Jesus is just, just going to say, all that's done. But we, folks, we, we believe that God has something to say about that kind of sin in your life. And that your genetics, even that original sin, is something that God wants to deal with. Last week, do you remember how much of our sin John said Jesus' blood purifies? All of it. All of it. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about that next week, so I really hope you'll be here. But we can't hide behind genetics for this. Jesus is interested in all of you. All of you. And I hope you hear that as good news. We also hide behind our generation. That's just how I was raised. You know, if you were raised in my family, those are the things that would happen. It's always getting me. I just can't get away from it. We were always fighting all the time, and that's just how I do it. I'm just loud and proud and mouthy. That's just who I was. That's just the generation I was raised in. And we can use this to justify everything from cheating on our taxes to racism. We hide behind generation and just the way we were raised. But Jesus deals with how much of our sin? Oh, can't hide there anymore. We can't put that away in the back of our house. It begins to pile up. And then there's the hiding behind the globe. Well, that's just the real world, Pastor. 
I know Jesus told me to turn the other cheek, but if, if I were to do that in real life, I'd just be taken advantage of. I know Jesus told me to love my enemies, but I can't when I'm in competition in business. It's competition. It's cutthroat. It's dog-eat-dog. Come on, move into the real world, man. It's nice on Sunday, and I can't wait till He comes again and we can actually live that way, but right now, it's just the way the world is. But Jesus wants to deal with how much of our sin? All of it. So we can't hide behind that anymore. John says that if you do this, if you hide behind that, you are leading yourself astray, and it is not truthful. It is not truthful. That His call is to purify all of your sin, whatever, it ha- whatever happens. Let's move back to our example of hoarding. Because I want to I bring this home to you and to me today. And for those of you who are online, I want to bring this home to you. What would happen if every sinful attitude, action, or the polluted atmosphere that happens when we do an action against someone else or against God, what if those things, those thoughts, those beliefs, those desires, all of that, we could just take this 3D printer and plug it right into the heart and soul of who you are? And what if every time one of those things came up, it printed a 3D object of it and spit it out into your house? And that would be something you wouldn't want anyone else to see. Now imagine if it did that Every day that you have been alive and you didn't want any of that stuff to ever be seen, do you think your room would start getting a little messy? Do you think your home might start looking a little more like you're hoarding some things? And if you thought, there's nothing I can do about this, I don't want anybody to see this, so I'm just going to tuck it back here. It will begin to pile up. It will eventually reach the ceiling. And some of us have been on this planet long enough, it would probably push the ceiling off the foundation. (laughs) Because we begin to see that these things, and so it's just easier for us to sit on our recliner in the midst of all the stuff and hope that no one ever walks through that door. But that's not what Jesus wants for you. And John wants to declare to you that when you walk in the light, as he is in the light, you begin to see the obstacles clearly. You begin to see those things that are piling up in your life, in your heart, in your brain, in your soul, and in your home, and in your relationships. You begin to see that when you begin to walk in the light. We begin to see that the attitudes and actions of our lives, that they pollute the atmosphere of our relationship with God and our relationship with others. We begin to see those things clearly. So what do we do when we see them? Some of you already may be feeling a little overwhelmed, a little anxious. Hold on. There's good. There's a good announcement here. I want you to hear that. What do we do when we see all those things? Well, John says then in 1 John 1, 9, probably one of the first Bible verses I ever memorized as a kid. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I want to drill down on this. If we confess our sins. Now, confess. We confess. Confess is a very religious word. Some of you may have grown up in traditions where you actually went into a booth with a, a priest or someone and, and you were to, called to confess those things that you didn't want anybody else to find out about. You were to confess them and then you were given something to do in order to have those things covered over. We think of it in those very religious, in some ways shaming terms. But I want you to know that the word for confess is simply the Greek word homologeo. I want to let's say that together. It's a pretty simple word to say. Ready? One, two, three. Homologeo. Say it again. One, two, three. Homologeo. And one more time for the Trinity. Ready? One, two, three. Homologeo. Homologeo. What does it mean? It is a combination of two Greek words, homu, which means the same, and logeo, which means to say or to speak. So, homo legao, to say the same is literally what it means. To say the same. To say the same. To confess is to say the same about my sin. It is about acknowledging what I am seeing and speaking truthfully about it. I want to give you a a little silly example of this. So, I was not always the shiny, bald guy that you see before you today. I used to have hair. And, you know, I had hair in the 80s. You know, I was, I was one of those, you know, rock and roll, heavy metal, but I had parents that didn't want it to get too crazy. So, you know, I had the mullet. Business in the front, party in the back. And, and I used to part my hair on the side, on this side, the right side. Over, you know, back a little, swept back a little into the mullet. And uh, I just kept doing that. That was my routine. That was just kind of how I did my hair. Eventually, you know, we got into the 90s and mullets weren't that cool. So we, we, we did a little shorter haircut in the back. And we just kept, kept combing it, you know, this way. Combing that over, doing, doing that. And I began to notice, you know, that my forehead was advancing up but i you know i just got used to everything i just was i would part it on the side and i would i would keep doing that well i was a part of this traveling group at my university we went out every weekend and we sang at churches and interacted with teenagers and hoped to build relationships and try and recruit them to come to our university and one of the things that we would do is that we would take these glossy photos of our group that would go ahead to the church so they could put that up. And then, you know, when we were at camps and stuff, you'd have little eight and nine-year-olds who, who'd want to get one, and we'd sign our names to it. You know, we were so cool. Well, this was the third year that I had done this. And this year, of all years, they decided to use a white background. And when the photo came out and was chosen, I saw something real for the first time. I saw that there was this little tuft of hair up here that you could see right through to the white backgrounds. And I began for the first time to think, hmm, maybe it's time for a different haircut. 
It, it took a few years to get to where I am today. But I began to see that something needed to change. You see, the habit hid my lack of hair. You know, the, the familiar hid the funny looking. <laughs> the tradition hid the truth. I had just always done this. I would always done it. And, I, and finally, it was when the light was behind and in the background that I could see that something needed to change. You see, that's what sin does. Sin begins to blind, blind you to the fact that it binds you. That, that it begins to, you can shove it away, you can shove it into every corner of your life and into your home, but it is there and it begins to trap you just like that hoarding person who doesn't want anyone to see what their life has become. And when that happens, we begin to see that sin blinds us to the fact that it binds us. And it's only when we step into the light that we begin to see what has been hidden and what can be dealt with. So let me ask you, when, when you look at the glossy photo of your life that maybe the Holy Spirit is working on your life today, what do you see needs to change? I'm sure it's more consequential than a haircut. What needs to change as you look at the glossy photo of your life? Is it an attitude? Is it an action or many actions? Is there something that is in the relationship between you or you just feel like there's something between you and God? What is that thing that needs to change? That is where, right there, where you're, where you're dealing with right now in this moment, what you're thinking about, that is where confession needs to begin. And I want you to hear this today. I want to put a disclaimer here. This is not about berating yourself. This is about becoming your true self, who God created you to be and who Jesus died for you to become. Don't fall into the trap of, oh, well, this is just about me beating myself up for all the negative things I've done or all the things that have happened to me in my life. No, confession is about speaking honestly and humbly about where you struggle and trusting that someone named Jesus can do something about it and bring you into who he's created you to be. So what happens when we confess? I've already hinted at it a little bit, but... First John says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to, and will forgive us our sins. I want us to look at that. He is faithful and just. Now we talk about faithful. We understand, uh, faithfulness. Faithfulness is dependable. That's the word. He is dependable. When we begin to confess, when we begin to say the same about where we've missed the mark, He is dependable and just. Now that's not a word we use a lot. Nowadays, what does it mean to be just? It means that he will do the right thing. What John wants you to understand is as you begin to acknowledge the places where you have missed the mark, when we begin to confess, Jesus gets involved right in that moment. And he is dependable to get involved. And he will do the right thing to get when he gets involved. Isn't that good news this morning? He's dependable to show up when we begin to get honest about where we've missed the mark. And he's determined to do the right thing 
So what is the right thing that He does? Ah, last part of our verse. To forgive us our sins. He forgives us of all the places where we have missed the mark. Now I want you to to hear this this morning because forgiveness, we have this idea of, oh, I just say to you, you've done something wrong to me, Dick, you know. And and so I just say to you, well, I forgive you for that. But there's actually an action involved in here, not just speaking of words. The word for forgiveness is the Greek word afe. Can you say that with me just one time, real quick? Ready? One, two, three. Afe. Afe, the action of afe is to send away. This is not just a verbal pronouncement about how I feel about someone. This is about Jesus sending away. Gone. Out the door. Forever. Far away from you. Your sin. Is that a good announcement for you today? You may think, well, pastor, you don't know. Jesus, you just don't know. There is so much to send away. I want you to know that just like on that show, Hoarders, when that person gets honest about what their house looks like, they don't just come with a trash bag. They come with giant dumpsters. And I want you to know that Jesus, when you begin to confess, you begin to say the same about where you've missed the mark in your actions, in your attitudes, and in the atmosphere of the relationships between you and others and God. He shows up and His dumpster is large enough to take it all. And He will send it away. He'll not just say you're okay and walk away and leave you in the mess. He takes it all. And He sends it away. You might be thinking, well, just like people find out when all the stuff goes away, there's some mess down there underneath. There might be some little critters running around. They might have made a mess down in there. There's something deeper that needs to happen than just sending it all away. Well, aren't you glad that John then says and finishes by saying he doesn't just send it all away. When he shows up and when he does the right thing, he sends it all away. And then he cleanses us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness, everything that is polluting your life, everything that is polluting your relationships with others and with God, He cleanses to the very foundation of your life. That's good news. So doesn't it just make sense then that today might be the day to just start Saying the same. To stop hiding the stuff in the house and in my life. To stop hiding behind my genes or my generation or the globe. The way things we think things are supposed to work in the world. And to begin to confess anything that is in the way between us and a full relationship with Jesus because He wants to remove it and cleanse us down to the very core of who we are. Now you might be thinking, okay, so how does this prove our faith? 
Our faith is proved and shown in our world when we, by, by the ways that we show how we humbly hand over our sin to the only one who can handle it. The only one who can handle it all. All of it. That's what we believe here at Cross Community Church. We know we're human beings and, and the stuff in us sometimes gets hoarded and tries to be hidden. But we want to be a people who live honestly and humbly and hand over all those things, trusting that He is dependable and will do the right thing, send our sin away and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, Jesus helps us see our sin so He can free us from our sin. I want to make that personal. Do you know today that Jesus helps you see your sin so that He can free you from your sin? That should be a good announcement for you today. And so I have to ask you as we close, will you keep hoarding? Keep stuffing? Pushing it back further and further? Or is today the day you start letting Him send away your sin and begin the cleansing process all the way down to your soul? My friend, you weren't called to be a hoarder. You were called to live in His presence and to let Him send it away and cleanse you all the way. Are you ready to do that? Will you let Him start to cleanse your life today? Person online, will you, right where you are, in an office or a living room, will you let Him begin to cleanse your life today? You can right now. If I were going to capture this whole sermon in a nutshell, it would be this. When you start confessing, Jesus starts blessing. Right? Just write that down, put it on a card, and it should lead you to start confessing. Today's the day, folks. Why not right now? Would you stand for prayer? Ask Deb to come and play. Lord Jesus, this one's a hard one for us in the 21st century in the United States of America with social media and everything that we have we're always told to put the best things forward, to show we have it all figured out, to put filters on that show us in the best light. But the truth of the matter is, is we've got a lot of stuff that we've hoarded, and we would be anxious if anyone would see it. And there's so much stuff that now we don't even want to let anybody in our lives for fear that they would see what our lives have become, all the ways we've missed the mark, all the attitudes, the actions, the people we've wounded along the way, how far sometimes it feels like we are from you. So thank you that today we have heard good news that if we'll just start talking about where we're missing the mark 
you, Jesus. You're dependable to come and do the right thing, to send it away. And begin the cleansing of our souls that only you can bring. So I pray that you would be with my brothers and sisters right now. Give them the courage to begin that confessing so that you can start blessing. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm just wondering if there are some of you who want to begin that process today, right now, here. This is a good time to do it. So I'm going to invite you. We have these places in the front. They're called altars. It's just a place to kneel. And it's a good place to get away from everybody else in the sanctuary. And you can begin that conversation with Jesus. We're saying, this is messed up in my life. I want to say the same about it. I don't want to hide it anymore. I'm going to bring it out. I want you to see it. I want to just see it correctly. And I'm trusting you, Jesus, that you're dependable and you're going to do the right thing and send this away from me. If that's you, would you come right now? We're not going to sing anything. Either God has laid this on your heart or God hasn't. But I'm going to invite you to take a daring risk if that's you, if you're, if you're nervous, you're worried, you're sweating a little bit, you're grabbing the pew a little harder, that may just be the Holy Spirit saying to you, it's time to stop hiding. It's time to start confessing and letting go. It's time for me to send this away from you and start cleansing. Will you trust Him? One has come. There's, there are more. Do you need to come today? Is it time for you to just start letting the house be cleaned. If that's you, come. Don't wait. Come right now. Come in this moment. One has come. I'm going to ask some of our our guys who pray for our service, I'm going to ask them to come and gather around. We just want to support and pray for the one who has come. Father, help us. If we were unable to come today, don't let us off the hook. Help us to talk with someone about it. Help us to make an appointment with a pastor. Help us to journal with you in in presence, just allowing that saying of the same to begin that cleansing process. Father, help us. Heal us. Thank you for sending away our sin and thank you for cleansing us. We leave here celebrating that today. Help us to share it more and more with those who are around us. For we pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you receive this blessing as you go? And now, may you, my brothers and and my sisters, may you begin to say the same about whatever attitude or action or atmosphere needs to be cleansed. I pray you would just begin to experience His dependability. Experience Him sending away your sin and cleansing you to the depths of your soul. I pray you would go out with joy, realizing that as you're confessing, He starts blessing. Announce that to those He places in your path this week. 
I send you out in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Go reverently, quietly. One is praying. This is important work. We want to send them out. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great, great rest of your week. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.